0: You're listening to Your Best Life, powered by Mercy One. Join us as we have a fun conversation with certified experts and physicians about health topics for you and your family. It's Your Best Life, our one purpose. Well, we're just a week away from Rag Bri, and that means we have another bike-themed podcast for you. Dr. Richard Deming has been a guest on our podcast before, and in this episode, you'll hear a story that only he can tell – His journey of recovery after a training ride ended with a severe crash, sending him to intensive care. The story is brought to us today with special thanks to the Des Moines Storyteller Project and the Des Moines Register. A bike accident taught this Iowa cancer doctor how to truly live. Take a listen.
1: Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way. There are mornings in my life when that song just erupts from me without me even thinking about it. It might be when I'm skiing down a slope of powder or I'm climbing up a mountain slope. But on Saturday, July 7th, 2018, that song sprang forth as I was riding my bike. It was a gorgeous day. Sunny, not a cloud in the sky, no humidity, no wind. I was riding my bike with a group of friends, fellow triathletes. We were doing a training ride. We were starting in downtown Des Moines. We were gonna do a 112 mile bike ride heading north. And it's on mornings like this, I I just feel so alive. And I know I feel just truly happy when, oh, what a beautiful morning, just pops into my head and just springs from my throat. And this particular Saturday morning, everything really was going my way. I was uh, in sync with doing training for an Ironman triathlon that was going to start in two months. It was going to be my fifth Ironman since I had started doing triathlons 15 years before at the age of 50. I was like, pushing myself mentally and physically to do things that some people might think are above and beyond what they can do. A ski friend of mine once reminded me, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Those words of wisdom, along with nothing succeeds like excess, and anything worth doing is worth overdoing, have always informed my adult life. I was definitely not a jock growing up. It wasn't until I started medical school that I actually became an athlete. I remember I was surprised the first year of medical school, I had noon hours free. I just started running endless circles on a track. And before you know it, I became a self-made marathon runner. And as I started running longer and longer distances, it dawned on me that running, like life, is just a manifestation of your determination to just keep going. Your willingness to take one more step a million more times without stopping. (laughs) And in medical school, I also realized that if you got a little bit of OCD and a lot of caffeine, there's very little in life that you can't accomplish. (laughs) But back to my beautiful morning. Um, When you're training for a triathlon, it really does help to have training partners to push you and pull you and commiserate with you on all those early morning swims and runs and bikes. We had stopped at a convenience store just after the sun came up for a quick slice of breakfast pizza, and then we were back on the road, pedaling north toward Elkhart. In order to go faster and make the ride more interesting, we decided to ride in a pace line. Now what that means is that you're riding in single file, very close together, with your wheels just inches apart. Life was good. We were pedaling in sync, and we were flying along at 23 miles an hour, and I was singing. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful shit. Elijah, the rider in front of me, was falling. His front tire had hit the rear tire of the rider just ahead of him. And there is a morality to the laws of physics. It says if you hit the guy in front of you, you're the guy who falls. It's the hitter who falls, not the hitty. And as the accident unfolded, time seemed to stand still. I saw Elijah falling in slow motion right ahead of me. He was so close to me, and we were going so fast, I knew I had no choice but to run right over the top of him. I remember seeing the exact spot on his leg where my tire was going to make contact with him as I used him as a ramp to launch myself up into the air. And all of a sudden, I was flying through the air like a lawn dart. I remember seeing the white dashed lines down the center of the highway. And I remember thinking that, that it was almost like subconsciously I was aiming for one of those white lines to be the target where I was going to stick to the landing. And eerily... I was calm and collected when my head struck the pavement with a thud. Well, let me clarify. It it, it wasn't actually my head that hit the pavement. It was the helmet on top of my head that bore the brunt of the blow. I'm not sure how long I lay there unconscious, but a puddle of blood began to pool on the asphalt beneath my head. Now, the rider behind me, John, miraculously didn't fall. Somehow he had been able to quickly veer to the right and avoid the whole accident. Clearly, John's reflexes are much faster than mine. Clearly, John is also a much younger, stronger, and smarter cyclist than I. And do you know what? John is also a neurosurgeon. No shit, I mean seriously, in your wildest dreams, who would you want to have behind you if you're riding on a bike and fall off and hit your head? Now I'm told that John confidently took command of the situation. He calmly assessed my medical condition. He safely uh, disentangled me from my bike. He calmly and carefully laid me out on the pavement until he even took off one of his shoes, put it under my neck to support my cervical spine. And you know, all that blood on the pavement, turns out it wasn't brain blood. It was just scalp blood. Some of the plastic from the helmet had cracked off during my fall and it scalped me taking with it a piece of my precious if not plentiful blocks talk about injury to insult eventually the ambulance crew arrived and I think they were like second cousins to the Keystone cops because it was it was just all chaos and and I remember finally I came to consciousness as the crew was rolling me over onto my injured left side and I was screaming in pain so loud I woke up and then they rolled me back onto the stretcher and threw me into the ambulance um, after all was said and done I had a pretty impressive uh, list of diagnoses, um, a concussion, scalp laceration, shattered clavicle, fractured scapula, 10 broken ribs, pneumothorax, lung contusion, and then um, while in the hospital after undergoing orthopedic surgery, placement of a chest tube, epidural catheter, I then developed a blood clot in my leg. How had an early morning bike ride turn into a near death experience. Oh, what a beautiful morning indeed, I thought as I fell into a narcotic enhanced slumber in the safe, protective walls of the Mercy One ICU. When you're a cancer doctor, You often have to inform patients of news they don't really want to hear. When a patient hears the words, you have cancer, they don't really hear what you say after that. They're already busy thinking, I'm going to die. It's like getting hit over the head by a two-by-four. It wakes you up and it reminds you of two things you already know but desperately try to forget. Number one, you're going to die someday. And number two, you don't know when that's going to happen. It was a lesson I first learned in 1970. I was a junior in high school in South Dakota. That year, my mom was diagnosed with incurable lung cancer. She died at age 52, just as I was beginning my second year of medical school. I've always been reluctant to acknowledge the role that my mom's death played in my journey to becoming a physician. Telling people that um, I became a cancer doctor because my mom died of cancer seemed shallow and trite. But now, 40 years after graduating from medical school, I recognize that it has been her gentle, firm, invisible hand on my back, guiding me all along to where I have come, helping me to realize that what May started out as a career in medicine has truly transformed into a ministry of healing. It's ironic, but a cancer diagnosis or a bicycle accident or any brush with death can wake us up. It can teach us how to live. The knowledge of our mortality has the power to wake us up to the reality that we are alive. It can even inspire us to pursue lives with more purpose and passion and compassion. If diamonds were as plentiful as grains of sand, they'd be worthless. If we live forever, wasting a day of our life would be trivial but it's precisely because we don't live forever that today is so valuable. You see, understanding that you will die someday is not an invitation to sulk and mourn. It's a trumpet blast to awaken us to all the possibilities that today presents. Maybe it was that trumpet blast or maybe it was just the ringing of my cell phone that I had stubbornly refused to give up when I got admitted to the hospital that woke me from my ICU slumber. And after two weeks and surgeries and rehabilitation and a lot of reflection, I now knew viscerally what I had only known intellectually before this accident. We are all just dangling by a thread. Danger and death are around every corner. But that knowledge doesn't need to scare us. And after my experience, it didn't scare me. It woke me up to the realization that living was what I had to get back to and fast. In five short weeks, I was scheduled to lead 20 cancer survivors and caregivers on a 21-day, 108-mile climb to the most sacred mountain in Tibet. It was a a journey that I had been planning for over a year. This mind-body-spirit journey would culminate in the circumambulation of Mount Kailash, a 23,000-foot peak in western Tibet. I remember the first day that they let me get out of my bed in the ICU. On that day, I made a very short circumambulation of the ICU nursing station. (laughs) While doing so, I contemplated the climb in the Himalayas. I wondered, what if this journey to Tibet was beyond my reach? What if I couldn't do it? What if I failed? But what if I failed to try? On every other above and beyond cancer journey, whether to Mount Everest or Kilimanjaro or Machu Picchu, I was always sure of myself. I was always the one willing to go further, farther, faster, higher, carrying an extra big backpack with additional gear for everyone. But this trip to Tibet was different. On September 14, 2018... As I completed the sacred circle around Mount Kailash, I wasn't carrying a backpack. My patients and my teammates were carrying my load for me. Never forget, none of us is as strong as all of us. Hugs work in both directions. It's a great day to be alive. And always remember, wear your helmet. Thank you.
0: Thanks again to the Des Moines Storytellers Project and Des Moines Register. And you can find a video of Dr. Deming's speech online. We've put a link to that in the podcast description. And you can find Dr. Deming on this year's Rag Bri. He'll be the one in the Mercy One bike jersey we like to hear feedback. If you've got any, go ahead and send us an email at podcast at mercyhealth.com. Once again, podcast at mercyhealth.com. You can also find us online at mercyone.org slash podcast, and you can send us your feedback there and find all of our other episodes. Until next time, live your best life.